And also, I might need my church lady fan periodically, so <laughs> that might happen as well. I'm just preparing folks. And while I'm at it, amens and ashes and say that's and snaps, those are all appropriate. <laughs> all of that's appropriate. Don't be shy. And if you want to say, oh, no, Michael, <laughs> that's okay, too, right? Because we're all in this together, in this heat, <laughs> until it's time to do a new thing. One of the things that I have come to do here and at many places uh, where I preach is that I open up with a song of prayer. The good news is the lyrics are in your bulletin. The even better news is I don't like to offer up that song of prayer alone because I'm not in here by myself, right? This isn't my show, this is y'all's show. So I will sing it through. Some, some of us in here are, might be a little familiar with it, and that's great, and there are some folks who might not be. So what I would like to do first is, is sing it through by myself once, and then invite us to sing it through together. Amen? Amen. It goes like this. May I be light in you. May you be light in me. Into our hearts, into our souls, let love abide. May I be love in you. May you be love in me. From this place out to the world for all time. We got it? Let's try it together. May I be light in you. May you be light in me. Into our hearts, into our souls, let love abide. Yes. May I be love in you. May you be love in me. From this place out to the world for all time. That was so good, you're going to have to do it again. May I be light in you. May you be light in me. 
into our hearts, into our souls. Let love abide. Yes, yes, yes. May I be love in you. May you be love in me. From this place out to the world for all time. Amen. 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 It is a terrible and inexorable law that one cannot deny the humanity of another without diminishing one's own. Let me say that again. It is a terrible and inexorable law that one cannot deny the humanity of another without diminishing one's own. These words, offered in the 1960s by James Baldwin in a collection of essays called Nobody Knows My Name, are as prophetic as they are historical. Living at the height of the Civil Rights Movement, Baldwin was speaking the truth of not only the hatred and degradation he and countless other black people were experiencing in their bodies, but he was also talking about the destructiveness of the spiritual violence that folks were inflicting upon one another out of misunderstanding and fear, sometimes even in the name of God and country. But he was also talking about what could happen, what would continue to happen if every person did not open their heart, expand their vision, get up close and personal to the possibility of a better world and the role they could play in getting us much closer to what King called beloved community. In the wake of people being killed, and churches burning down. Baldwin's words hold just as much meaning today as they did then. It's a lament, really. An expression of grief that so much has been done by people to undo other people because of our different backgrounds and beliefs that it seems damn near impossible to right what has been wrong for so long. And not only that, there are folks in this very room who are deeply in tune with the fact that imagining that another world is possible is all too often not, not encouraged 
by existing systems of power. It is a lament that has been handed down from generation to generation long before James Baldwin and long after. A lament that some of us carry in our skin and bones, hoping, whether conscious of it or not, for ways to find light at the end of the tunnel, to do a new thing, to imagine a new world. I carried around that sadness for much of my childhood and probably didn't even realize that that's what I was doing. There was this deep knowing that all was not right with the world and an uncertainty that anybody could really do anything about it, at least not in any tangible way that I would ever see. I also felt isolated in my uncertainty and sadness. How many of us have felt isolated in our uncertainty and in our sadness? Unsure how to connect those things, how to connect that uncertainty and sadness to the kinds of mistreatment, particularly around race and class, that my parents were too bruised by to really talk about. And so, it's probably no surprise that from that very young age, I got lost in the otherworldliness of science fiction films like Star Wars. <laughs> right? Okay, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Sure, you know, I, I loved my Millennium Falcon bank. I had two of them. I saved a lot of money with those banks, they were huge. You know, I loved my X-Wing fighters and my Han Solo doll because, you know, Han Solo was cute. And, you know, and my Darth Vader lunchbox. Like, you know, I, I loved all of the things. I'll be the first to admit it. But I was also enamored by all the different species interacting with one another. Right? Like, I couldn't stop thinking about that and trying to, I remember once I spent an entire afternoon, and I don't know how my mother dealt with it, <laughs> but I, I must have watched Star Wars three times, and I was trying to count how many different species I could find. Thankfully, she didn't give me a hard time. I was fascinated by the notion that a boy like Luke Skywalker could imagine making the world a better place and ridding it of the dreaded empire, but you know, we won't go there. That's, that's probably another sermon. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, that a boy like Luke Skywalker could, could imagine making the world a better place and actually get a chance to help make that happen. 
And long after all the toys had been lost, stolen, or broken, the Star Wars trilogy, and for those of you who might not know and who are new, that is four, five, and six. <laughs> let, me just, let me just make it plain. I'm not talking about Revenge of the Sith. Okay? And if you need to talk to me about that after worship, we can have some pastoral care time about it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Thank you very much. So after lo long after all of the toys and gadgets and goodies had been broken, stolen, or lost, Star Wars continues to be my go-to when I want to feel hopeful about the world. You can ask Lelena, not too long ago, I couldn't find my DVD. And then I remembered I only had a VHS. <laughs> and she gave me permission to buy it <laughs> on Netflix because it was a hard day. And too many hard things were going on in the world, and so I needed to watch my movie. And I blame it. I blame this love and my willingness to go back to it over and over again on the force. I do. Some of us in the room may remember what old Obi-Wan Kenobi said to Luke Skywalker in that first film. Well, the, the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I know who you are. <laughs> We're going to have fun the next couple of weeks. <laughs> we might have to have a viewing. <laughs> In The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda says that life creates the force, makes it grow. You see, for me, the whole point of Star Wars is this deep awareness of the power all living things have to impact one another. Each of the first three films tell the story of Luke's journey as he grows deeper and deeper into that awareness, right? But he can't do that. He can't go deeper into that awareness on his own, can he? He messes it up every time. He does keep trying, but he can never do it on his own. But because he is surrounded by that energy, made manifest by the people in his life who are invested in strengthening the force within him, he is able to reach that deeper awareness. Over time, as he experiences the power and connection of his teachers, who are also his friends, right? He begins to see himself as powerful and connected. And so then, because he sees himself as powerful and connected, he becomes powerful and connected. So much so that he can do almost anything. 
by that third film. When I was younger, and um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a lot older than I look. When I was younger, I told myself that the magic of Luke's transformation couldn't actually happen. That it couldn't exist in real life or in real time. I told myself that science fiction wasn't based in anything real, and the only way I could, I could get just even a little taste of the awesomeness of that magic was to watch a movie over and over and over again. But an incredible educator, organizer, and spoken word artist named Walida Imarisha, yes, co-edited a book called Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction Stories from Social Justice Movements. And in the introduction, she offers these words. Whenever we try to envision a world without war, without violence, without prisons, without capitalism. We are engaging in speculative fiction. All organizing is science fiction, she writes. We are dreaming new worlds every time we think about the changes we want to make in the world we live in. some serious stuff, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you see, it took me years to understand why I was lying to myself about what the film actually offered me. The truth is that I saw a world I could dream about in those stories, but we get taught and told to stifle our dreams all the time, don't we? What I found in episodes four, five, and six of the series, and, and honestly, later in The Matrix, the first one. <laughs> I have feelings. Was that there are ways in which visionary science and fantasy fiction can inspire the radical imagination to not only envision, but also to enact a socially just world. The shift in recognition and understanding of self in relation to another actually can and does happen. That shift is possible. And, and the possibility of that shift, the possibility of that kind of miracle is real. And I found that possibility most recently, in something called mirroring. How many folks in the room have heard of mirroring before? A few. A few of you. At its most basic level, mirroring is the behavior in which one person subconsciously imitates the gestures and speech patterns of another person, and attitudes as well. The concept 
actually takes place in, in everyday interaction um, and generally goes unnoticed by both the person enacting the mirroring behaviors and also the person who's being mirrored. I was sharing with Lelena what I was feeling about relationships and social justice and the sheer impact we can have on each other before, you know, before I really knew what I was getting myself into and before I really knew what was going on. And she leaned in toward me, smiling. And you know, it's Lelena, so. For those of you who don't know, Lelena's my, my spouse. And so, you know, I, I leaned in and smiled back without even realizing it, because I like smiling at Lelena <laughs> when she smiles at me. And she giggled and said, that's mirroring, honey. <laughs> See, that, that's, that's what happens when you fall for a counseling psychologist whose therapy, is, <laughs> whose therapy practice is grounded in social justice. That's, that's what that looks like. But mirroring establishes rapport, right? A really intricate dance begins to take place where people begin to know at their core that they're really being seen by another person because similarities in nonverbal interactions create a, that deeper connection. Does that make sense? It's not imitation right? It's not imitation. It's not, um, can I pick on you, Renee, for just a moment? You don't have to move. Um, you know, it's, it's not, I'm going to do what Renee does, so Renee will like me. Like, that's not what it is. It's not imitation. That keeps Renee from actually getting to know who I am, right? Otherwise, I'm just doing what Renee does. It's more like I'm going to lean in to my connection with Renee because somehow I sense that she has seen me based on something that she did to make way for that connection, which therefore makes me feel safe. That's what it is. But it's also not just about establishing rapport, right? I was talking to my friend, Andreas Newman Massis, um, who is a psychologist and founder of the Meeting Point JP, and I think, is Andreas here? Ha-ha! <laughs> What's up, Andreas? It's good to see you, my brother. <laughs> I was talking to Andreas because apparently mirroring is his favorite thing in the world, <laughs> which I had no idea about when I embarked upon this journey. So I was very, very happy that I knew Andreas. <laughs> What he said really blew my mind. He said, each of us has a self that gets built and rebuilt and rebuilt based on the significance of our relationships. In this experience of mirroring, we begin to have a sense of validation, right? And we internalize that validation, and it becomes a part of how we see ourselves. And so we become different people. It is perhaps 
the most magical thing that humans do. Because we can actually create something between us that neither of us could create on our own. It offers us an opportunity to move from that which is most isolating and isolated to that which is most communal. And in the moments when mirroring is most powerful, we recognize really being seen as ourselves, and it creates this universal force that physiologically connects and changes us as humans. It's precisely where the most profound healing can happen. And it's precisely why we need each other to grow. And it occurred to me the other day that this is, this is what the Holy Spirit is for me. That's the Holy Spirit. That stuff that happens between me walking toward one of you and each of us connecting in the ways that we need to connect and beginning to manage that dance. That dance wouldn't be there without us, right? That's the Holy Spirit to me. Do you see how magnificent this is? Do you see where I'm going here? So that maybe instead of having to say, one cannot deny the humanity of another without diminishing one's own, we can begin to imagine that one cannot embrace the truth of one's own life without making room for the truth of another. possible. The implications of this in community and when we're trying to build the world we dream about are staggering. Hmm. But there are some things that keep us from experiencing the full extent of that magic. There are some things that keep us from it. We have to actually believe that healing in our connections is possible. We have to believe in it. Believe in the possibility of it. And boy, is that hard when you've seen nothing but madness over the course of days or month, weeks or months or years or lifetimes. It's hard to believe but we must believe. It takes a belief in something pretty powerful and transformative to sit down with someone who they've experienced as sexist or racist or classist or ableist and attempt to build a relationship in the midst of that. It takes pretty strong belief, doesn't it? 
And even if we're not sure that we believe, we also have to do the other thing that is hard. We have to make ourselves available to what that healing can offer. Availability. Availability is tough, isn't it? There's so many things going on in the world. We, our lives are so full. We, there's so many things. We're moving from one thing to the next constantly. And so, it's hard to make ourselves available. But we are called as people who care about being in community to become available. You see, it takes someone incredibly open to the possibility of being changed to sit down and hear this. <laughs> Receive another person's feelings of anger and hurt around things like racism and homophobia and transphobia and sexism. It takes a real openness to be able to hear hard words like that and not do the thing that often happens, right? Which is say, but I'm, but I'm so good though. Or, but I'm a you, you though. That's real. That's real. I don't know how many times I've heard, but I'm you, you. I couldn't possibly say a racist thing. Yes, you can. And you know what? It's okay that we can be in this moment together and talk about that and move to a new place around that together. Together. Because the third thing, we cannot, we cannot do this work alone. We can't, right? It seems impossible to be so meaningfully present for someone else that you can actually magnify who they believe they can be in the world. It seems impossible that you can reflect back to people in a way that you become a part of their experience and they become a part of yours. But it is only in our willingness to envision the impossible that we can actually access the power of it, the realness of it. And we each have a part to play, right? Okay, now that was only like two people. I'm going to say that again because I figured most of y'all didn't hear me. We each have a part to play in this, yes? Okay, that's, that's, thank you. That was it. That was it. Because you see, just as, just as Luke discovered in his travels and in his learning, no single person 
can make up the force. We are all teachers because if we are to be in community with one another, we all have something to learn. Did you hear that? We are all teachers because we all have something to learn. Mirroring is that bridge. It's what we all want, I think. An opportunity to be in the kinds of relationships that actually make way for our most authentic, brightest, and best selves to show up. Sometimes we do that with one another quite well, and sometimes we do not. It's not about being nice or good. Did you hear that? It's not about being nice or good. We can all be nice. We can all be nice. Nice is nice. Hmm. And as much as we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, racism, classism, homophobia, transphobia, and ableism persist, both within these walls and outside of these walls. Let's just be honest. No, it's about co-creating the kind of space where those internal and external exchanges between people can make each person's light shine a little bit brighter. How many of y'all were singing this little light of mine on the train? See, I heard about y'all. I was like, oh yeah, we, yes, we are in sync today. <laughs> That's the miracle. That's where the magic happens. That's the force at work in each of us. It's kind of remarkable, isn't it? What drives us, shapes us, changes us, moves us, and helps us lay it all on the line. My prayers for First Parish Cambridge have and always will be that you will continue to love and care for one another more deeply, that you'll engage that work intentionally, that you will keep learning from and leaning into each other, however different from one another you may be that you won't be afraid of the magic that awaits a belief and willingness to sit down, have hard conversations, and do a new thing. And that you will stick together and stay connected through all the transitions that come your way. Because that whole change thing's gonna happen. <laughs> and all the time. As our friends from the Multicultural Leadership School have reminded us in their witness, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Amen. I love you. May the force be with and within you. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.